Welcome to today's podcast on the March issue of Hepatology. We're going to be discussing serum B-type natriuretic peptide in the initial workup of patients with new onset ascites, a diagnostic accuracy study. With us today, we have uh, Dr. Garcia Sal from Yale University. She's uh, one of the co-authors on this paper, a study that was done out of Brazil. And uh, the reason this study is important in my mind is uh, we struggle at times with differentiating ascites secondary to heart failure or secondary to cirrhosis. We have some variables out there, the serum ascites albumin gradient, affectionately known as the SAG, as well as some protein levels. But this is a study that's interesting because it gives us a potential alternative tool to help differentiate these factors. And we're uh, certainly glad to have Dr. Garcia Sal with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. It's my pleasure to be here. So this study came about, like Steve said, to try and add a new test to make an easy differential between the three most common causes of ascites. And these are cirrhosis, number one, heart failure, and peritoneal disease. And what we typically use clinically now is to combine the results of the serum ascites albion gradient or the SAG, which correlates with sinusoidal pressure. So any the two causes of ascites that are due to sinusoidal hypertension are cirrhosis and heart failure. So those two are high SAG conditions. Peritoneal disease, obviously, the fluids come from the peritoneal, so the SAG is low. On the other hand, ascites choke protein speaks of the integrity of the hepatic cap of the sinusoid. If the sinusoids are papillarized like they are in cirrhosis, then there's less leakage of protein, and therefore the ascites protein is low. Whereas in heart disease, even though they do have a high SAG and the fluid is coming from the sinusoids, the sinusoids are not capillarized. So any increase in pressure will lead to an increase of protein-rich fluid. And therefore, ascites protein in these patients would be high. And in peritoneal disease, as we all know, it's an exodus, so the protein is high. So a combination of SAG and ascites total protein will give you a reasonable differential. But there are always cases where they're in a gray zone where we don't know which one it is. So these colleagues in Brazil said, you know, the serum or ascites BNP, which they use to diagnose heart failure, would be good also to determine whether ascites is coming from the heart failure or is it coming from cirrhosis. So the test, we first had a, um, a training cohort that consisted of 118 patients. They had to exclude some patients with a credit that was greater than 2.5 because the maker of the BMP says that this is not good to measure in, in patients with credit greater than 2.5. And there are eight cases where we could not tell by the clinical size whether there was cirrhosis and or heart failure. So there was patients that may have had both. So we excluded those patients. So they were, the patients are here are adjudicated by two hepatologists and two cardiologists. And they were, so we're 100% sure that 44 patients had heart failure, 162 had cirrhosis, and 10 had peritoneal disease. And we compared the combination of SAG and total ascites protein versus ENP. Ascites BMP ended up being not very good. What was very good was the serum BNP. So just to summarize, for example, positive likelihood ratio rules in a disease. And we found out and anything above 10 is very good, all right? So the, a SAG of greater than 1.1 and the size protein greater than 2.5 gave a likelihood ratio of 9.63. Not quite the 10, pretty good. It rules in disease. The serum BMP at a level of more than 364 micrograms per ml gave a 
cost of likelihood ratio of 168.09. Very good. Essentially, every single patient that had cardiac ascites had a serum BMP greater than 364. On the other hand, to rule out the disease, you, you use the negative likelihood ratio. And for the SAG less than 1.1 and the protein less than 2.5, the negative likelihood ratio was 1.2. Anything below 0.1 is good. So 1.2 is not that great. But the serum BNP at a level of less than 182 had a negative likelihood ratio, meaning ruled out disease. It was 0.000. So that's an outstanding meaning that every single patient that did not have cardiac acidity had a serum BNP less than 182. And this was validated in a separate validation cohort that consisted of, I think, 50 patients or so. And so, in a way, the serum BNP had a better diagnostic accuracy at different cutoff levels than the combination of SAG and total ascites protein, which is what we use currently. Now, what I think is, this is a sideline, but what I think is very, very fascinating is the concept of a high ascites protein in, in patients with cirrhosis. This has nothing to do with the main conclusion of the study, but I have always thought that these patients that have a high ascites protein who have cirrhosis their sinuses may not be as capillarized, so their, their sinuses may be less sick than in a well-established cirrhotic patient. So what we did in this study, we had 20 patients, which was like 15% of the, of 12% of the total cohort that had a high ascites protein, a high SAG and a high ascites protein. So you would diagnose them as having heart failure, but they actually had cirrhosis. And when we look at the liver function test in patients who had a high ascites protein, who had cirrhosis with those who had a low ascites protein, those who had, those people with cirrhosis that had a high ascites protein had a much better synthetic function. That is, their albumin level was significantly higher, their glutamine was significantly lower, and the INR was significantly lower than those who had a low ascites protein. Again, proving that maybe those patients with cirrhosis that have a high ascites protein are, are less sick patients. Well, that's incredible. That's very interesting data. There, there was in the cohort of patients that you found. Now, none of the people had renal failure or creatinines greater than 2.5. So that's one of the limitations of this, correct? Correct. So we exclude patients had a creatinine of greater than 2.5 because actually the manufacturer says this is not good at that level. But outside of the study, they've done this in patients that have a, a creatinine greater than 2.5, and it seems to be, you know, equally sensitive and specific. So I don't know. And now knowing that we use serum BMP and not pro-BMP, which is, you know, what I don't know if, what size, but for example, at Yale, we measure pro-BMP, and at the VA, we use BNP, the same as we use in the study. It's, it's, um, the, the serum pro-BNP is more dependent on sex, age, and renal dysfunction. So actually, that is much worse than using the, the serum BNP, and it's also more, the pro-BNP is also more expensive. So this refers to the serum BNP, right. which is what we measure at the VA, for example. Now, can you really get this test back in 18 minutes? I don't know. Not, I don't know. <laughs> That's what they said. That's what happens in Brazil where we get it here in 18, 18 minutes. I don't know. But I think, you know, I'm clearly out. You cannot say you're not going to do a, a diagnostic presentation because I, I tell my fellows all the time, you know, nuance it aside and, and note, okay, so notice this. These were all patients with new onset aside. These were not patients that are known cirrhotic that have, you know, volume overload that were in the ICU, et cetera. No, these were patients that were walking in the hospital 
with new onset ascites. So this only applies to this population, not to the very sick patients who may have cirrhosis plus volume overload and so forth. So this, this is new onset ascites. And the second thing is that they were adjudicated, so we excluded patients that may have had dual etiology, like having cirrhosis and heart failure. Right. That's the one thing I think is important to note is yeah. And like I said, you know, I, I still think that every patient that comes in with new onset ascites should get a diagnostic paracentesis. Now, if there's doubts and you think, you know, clinically you think, oh, I think this patient has, you know, cirrhosis, but the ascites turning is, is, is high, you cannot really tell and, and, and so forth, you can use the serum BMP as the tiebreaker here, as, as a test that will help you in making the differential. Yeah, I don't even see why it can't be used as just an adjunctive test, you know, a test that you're getting concurrently. Yeah, I mean, if we've done this at the VA since this paper came out that the patient comes in, he has a site, we get serum BMP quicker than by the time we get the diagnostic paracentesis. We have a very good idea of what's going on by the time we get the diagnostic paracentesis. Have you found this test to be as accurate in your hands at Yale there at the VA as it in the paper? I don't know because I haven't had enough cases to, I mean, I haven't looked at this in a systematic way. Okay. But you agree that the diagnostic paracentesis in the initial presentation to rule out SBP is probably still yeah. a good idea, whether or not... A hundred percent. Absolutely. No question about it. Now, and I think it's just one more test, you know, that you would, that would help you, but I think in a patient that presents with new onset ascites, at one point you have to do a diagnostic paracentesis, yeah. What did you think of the, the low SAG values that were found in 20% of the patients with heart failure? So there's a comment made that regarding the standard test, we could confirm that the SAG greater than 1.1 is present in nearly all patients with cirrhosis, but mm -hmm. low SAG values were present in 20% of patients with heart failure particularly in the presence of hypoalbuminemia, and that may be the, the reason. they just That's exactly what it is. So there's always a problem with the SAG. If you have a low serum albumin or a low serum protein, the SAG values is, is less reliable. So in the presence of a low serum albumin, and, and in fact, there were eight patients in the heart failure group that when I went and looked at the cases, they had a low serum album, and I said, well, how do you know this patient is not cirrhotic? So they showed me the patient did not have varices, they did not have a morphology of cirrhosis. I said, you know, what about the follow-up of these patients? So I, I, sensibly, I was, you know, I was helping them adjudicate the cases, and I said, you know, this case, what about this low serum album? So follow-up of these patients, just to make sure that, that the diagnosis was correct, was for 13 months. And in the 13 months, these patients with heart failure that had a low serum album were deemed as having cardiac cachexia, not any evidence of cirrhosis. And these are the patients that, in a way, some of them had a low SAG. Okay, got you. Well, good. Thanks for sharing with the group your thoughts today on this study. I think it's fascinating, and, and certainly we'll add to our armamentarium when we go to work at patients with the onset ascites, particularly in the setting where the, the patient maybe have cardiac ascites, maybe even in the setting of uh, cirrhosis. That would be helpful as well. Well, that that requires further investigation because right now what we do, yeah, I agree entirely. Right now, some patients we always have the problem: was it is it heart or is it or is it cirrhosis? And what we do is we end up measuring an HVPG to make the difference. So now we can do another less invasive. I mean, we just can measure the serum BMP and save ourselves probably doing something invasive like the HVPG. Absolutely. 
Well, super. Well, thanks so much. I know you're incredibly busy today, and, and your time is very valuable, and we're glad we got some of it. Thank you. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Have I'll a good see day. You later. Okay. Okay, bye-bye.